Hey y'all and welcome to the Prayer Wall Podcast. The podcast for the broken, the healers, and the overcomers. For those of us who need a little bit of faith, inspiration, or sometimes both. Here, we discuss real life and raw experiences. By the end of this show, you'll be running to your prayer wall to surrender whatever topic we covered to the Lord. I'm your host, Taylor McElwain, and this week on the Prayer Wall Podcast, we'll be discussing Black Lives Still Matter. All right, my Prayer Wall Warriors. So we're going to go with a little bit of a different format for episode three. Um, I know I just got you sucked in from episode one and two, but today we're going to take, again, um, a little bit of a separate format because... This episode is not going to be pretty. It's not going to feel good. Um, There are going to be moments in this podcast where I ask you to stop and reflect and just think about things and think about your own behavior and your own um, biases and, and racist thoughts and things of that sort. So again, this podcast is not going to be pretty. And if we're being completely honest, this is probably one of the hardest subjects that I've ever had to outline and plan through and work through and really just pray about and ask God to work with me on this because it's it's a touchy subject and it shouldn't have to be but for me it elicits so much of an emotional response like when I say I've been through so much in life but when it comes to this topic where we live in a society where black people are, you know, being oppressed as often as the sun rises and sets every day. It's just a real issue and it's just so prevalent and it breaks my heart. So I want y'all to bear with me throughout this episode because this is something that I struggle with and I knew that I would have to eventually make this episode because of what's going on currently and I use my voice as a way to advocate you all know that but it took me a minute to just process through what I wanted to say and just ask the Lord what he wanted me to say and so this has been a hard process for me and even right now I'm starting to get emotional and tear up because y'all like I am tired, okay? Like, I've been on the front lines. I've been, y'all know my motto, teaching, preaching, and reaching other people. And just to say that, like, black lives matter. And I'm just blown away that there are people who are putting but after that. You know, like, there are people who don't agree that my life in this country matters. And there is nothing right now to me that is more heartbreaking than that. So as I'm going through this episode, I want y'all to know that it doesn't matter who you are, this episode is for you. White people, y'all need to hear this, okay? Like y'all do. I'm going to be working through um, different ways to advocate and be allies. And then black people, I'm giving y'all a little bit of a slight pass, my brothers and sisters, but I want you to keep keep um, listening and staying tuned because this is going to be helpful to you if you are the type of person like me where you are trying to teach people and you're trying to reach people and I'm also going to go through some ways to just have self-care and to take care of yourself y'all so like I said like I've been so tired I've been on the front lines of this really the second pandemic that's going on in our country currently Um, I've been to a few protests 
I've been donating to different Black Lives Matter organizations. I've dropped off supplies um, to protesters in Cleveland. And it's just been such an emotional toll. So I really just had to step back and just refill my cup before I came to you all with this episode. And I know that my black brothers and sisters can relate. Like this is a lifelong fight. Like although a lot of my white listeners may just now be getting educated on racism in America that has really just been right in front of our faces. This has been something that your black counterparts have dealt with probably since early elementary okay so like we are tired we are and it takes such an emotional toll both physically and emotionally so I'm actually going to start with my very first racist encounter which happened to me as a second grader all right so I was leaving PE class with my second grade class and you know, we had just played our heart out in PE. We were probably playing tag or some other crazy game like that where we just, y'all know how kids are, running around and we just wore ourselves out. It's also like 9 a.m. in the morning and I'm like, what the heck? But you know, our teachers knew what they were doing trying to tire us out that early. <laughs> um, but anyway, we were sitting in the water fountain lines and there were two water fountains and usually we did like boy line, girl line. Y'all know that's pretty basic, pretty standard. Um And one of my white classmates looked at me and said, Taylor, you can't drink from this water fountain. This is whites only. And I will forever carry that moment with me because it was like it was the first time that I realized that everything that we were being taught every Black History Month, you know, for the 28 days that they do teach Black history in the education system, I had just experienced something that my teachers had claimed was no longer an issue. You know, we, they would claim we live in a post-racist society. And the way that that hurt me, like, y'all, I'm 23. I was seven years old in second grade. That still hurts me to this core. And I'm sure my black brothers and sisters can attest to, like, the fact that it never gets easier. You never get used to it. So years later, when I was on my college campus, the day after Trump was elected, I had a similar encounter. I'm walking to class. I'm already in shambles. I'm upset because, you know, Trump has just been elected. And I'm just minding my business. And two white boys, as I'm walking to class, yell out, nigger, to me. And I was so terrified because I was running late to class. And so I was like the only one on the pathway the walkway to class along with these two white males I'm like they can literally do anything to me and I'm scared for my life so I just knees to chest kept walking to class and throughout that whole class just sat there like zoned out because I could not believe that you know all these years later we are still having to deal with this same stuff but these experiences as disheartening as they were they fueled me like speaking is my ministry and so I've used my my tongue and my words and my speech and just my gift that the God has just instilled in me to speak about inequalities in our society, in every sector of the world, in every social institution, you know, from the classroom to healthcare to the justice system to the workforce. You know, like we have racism infiltrating in every single area of our society. And so I um, have led webinars. I 
have just done a plethora of things. And so mostly these webinars have been geared toward white allyship. So I'm going to adjust this episode a bit, but I'm really going to, again, talk about allyship and talking about advocates and just talking about accomplices because I do want to hit on that too. Um, but I really want everyone to take something away from this. So, but I do want to make this disclaimer first. Black people, you by no means have to have to teach white people, okay? But this episode will offer resources on doing so if you choose to. It'll also give you a better understanding if you're not if you feel like you don't know, ever know how to vocalize it or you get it's, you get emotional. I know sometimes I can't even speak about it because something will catch me off guard. And I'm like, I don't even have the words to say this. So I'm just hoping that this will give you, again, pointers too. White people, <laughs> y'all are white. And in that, you are unlearning years of systematic racism. You are going to mess up. But you need to continue to be teachable continue to be open to correction and monitor yourself for defensiveness and white fragility allyship is continual you build upon it so whatever you need right now I want you to take the time to get if you need to take notes grab your pen your paper whatever you need because a lot of this is going to be geared toward you being allies so I don't know about y'all but I'm like obsessed with podcasts and one of my favorite podcasts I've recently gotten really addicted to is Brene Brown's Becoming Us podcast and on there she um, interviews in one of her episodes Imbram Kendi who's the author of How to Be Anti-Racist and he uses this rain analogy that I'm gonna um, share with you all right now and it really just helps you understand you know how much racism is infiltrated into every part of our lives so Kendi says to grow up in America is for racist ideas to constantly rain on your head and you have no umbrella you don't even know that you are wet with those racist ideas because the racist ideas themselves cause you to imagine that you are dry then someone comes along and says you know what you're wet and those ideas are still raining on your head here's an umbrella you can either say, thank you, I didn't realize I was drenched. Or you can say, I'm not wet, what are you talking about? And this is why people, like, really shouldn't be ashamed. Like, I know there's a lot of white fragility and a lot of white guilt. But instead of being ashamed, let that fuel you to do better, to be better, to do more, and to help your black counterparts. All right? Like, when, all, when you know, this country was founded, and I know that y'all know that it was founded with the idea I'm doing finger quotes right now that all men were created equally and that meant all white men you know but there were other people very powerful people who were constantly raining these ideas on white Americans heads so if you are white America American sorry who is racist ideas you have perpetuated those ideas and not necessarily on purpose, but you think about um, the hiring process for black people. So you might not have hired a black person because you thought they were lazy. So you were simultaneously a victim and a victimizer. OK, so you have to take responsibility for that victimizer part. It is critical for you to realize that literally there's a specific reason why you had so many powerful Americans trying to convince white Americans that black people were inferior. OK, so it was all out of their self-interest. White people capitalized off black people you know like this country was built on the backs of black people 
And white Americans believed that black people should be enslaved in 1855. And meanwhile, poor whites, whose poverty was directly the result to white slaveholders, were like, yeah, it should be this way. You know, like they didn't know any different. And so these powerful white people were able to get richer and richer. And the poor were able to get poor and poor, right? So you go to that poor white person who believes black people should be enslaved and you're basically coming to them and saying, here's the way you are a victimizer and here's the way you are a victim because again, we have this sector of poor white people. So it's very important for us to understand how people have been manipulated throughout history. But it is now unfortunately your responsibility to unlearn racism and also how to become an ally. All right, so we're next gonna jump into the five types of allies. The first, and I think it's actually six, sorry y'all. The first is lazy allies. So these are the allies who share the values and understand that like racism is bad, but they don't necessarily do the work to unlearn anything. Secret allies share values or beliefs in private or in conversations with people of color only. So they don't necessarily make change or push for, push for change in their own white communities then we have our opportunistic allies whose words or actions only happen in a moment of crisis where participating may have personal gain all right so they're only doing this to gain something in that moment or to just fit in at that moment we have our performative allies who have unsustaining values that lack immeasurable values or actions okay so you um you're just doing this as a performance. You're not really, you don't really understand the way that systematic oppression and racism are affecting black people in this country. And then you have our true allies who have unselfish alignment with values, actions, and behaviors. These are the ones on the front lines. These are the ones who are gun cold. They're changing their communities. You know, they're pushing for, um, for political change, they're pushing for black people to, you know, have more opportunities. And so it is really up to you to determine which ally you are and to take the steps to getting to the ally you want to be. So a lot of you may say, like, I want to be an ally, but I don't know what to do. I'm gonna go through a, a series of tips for that. All right. The first being do not afraid to be wrong because you will be wrong. Do not let that stop you from speaking up or taking action. There is always a risk, but it is a risk worth taking. Like, if it means that one less black person is going to die at the hands of police brutality, then it is a risk worth taking. My second tip is to do research. It is more difficult to be wrong if you are sharing straight facts. So you have Google literally at your fingertips. Look stuff up for yourself, okay? Like a lot of us were in the public education school system and they didn't teach me anything that was relevant to what's going on now. You know, I was always taught like we live in a post-racist society. And I'm thinking like, no, we don't. So that pushed me to do my own research. So do your research. The third tip, understand that black people are not required to educate you. First and foremost, like white people, you are not children. We don't have to teach you anything. Like I'm doing this because it's my way of furthering the, furthering the Black Lives Matter agenda, but your black friends are tired. 
take the initiative. There are many books, articles, documents, etc., that can help you. And I'm actually going to post some links of anti-racism resources in the description for this episode. All right. So there are anti-racist resources for white people. Again, the anti-racist starter pack is a series of 40 TV series, documentaries, movies, TED talks, and books. The next tip is to get comfortable. Black people struggle with this discomfort every single day of our lives. Take on some of that burden, okay? Like this movement will require you to make some challenging conversations with some challenging friends and families and to take some challenging actions. And a lot of people are not going to agree with you. They do not realize they are being rained on, okay? So back to that rain analogy, they don't understand that they are wet. But it's your job to hand them that umbrella and say, all right, sis, it's time to rain it in. The next tip is to use your privilege. Vote for legislative change. Petition budget redistribution. Make phone calls to state attorneys to demand indictments of criminal cops, i.e. Breonna Taylor's killers. Drop off resources to protesters. So if you can't necessarily make the time to protest, drop off water bottles, granola bars, um, masks, things of that sort. Protest. Actually go out and stand with your black counterparts. Be with them and be vocal. Use your voice. Nine times out of 10, a white person is going to listen to you sooner than they'll listen to me as a black woman about my own experiences. And that's just the way that it is. And the last thing is to amplify. Share black stories. Share black art and uplift black voices. I'm going to say another thing too. Stop expecting black people to do these things for free. Pay them for this work that they are doing. Y'all don't understand the emotional and physical toll this has on us when we do this 24-7. The next thing that I want to jump into for this episode is a few points um, of interest that, you know, as I'm scrolling on social media, I see like these claims, blah, 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 you know, like not all cops, blah, blah, blah. The first thing that I see most often is that The police are wrong, but you guys are overreacting. Police are wrong, continue to be wrong as long as the system supporting the racist workforce are in place. There is no overreaction of 400 plus years of second class citizenship and dehumanizing treatment. Current peaceful protests are being distorted and ignored by the media. When I was in Indianapolis protesting, It was fine. It was peaceful until police officers showed up and started harassing people. And that's when violence broke out. But again, you're pushing us. The media is distorting that. And the media only shows that side. They don't show the six hours that we were out there beforehand. The next thing that I'm seeing on social media is that looting and destruction of property is never acceptable. White people do not get to decide what are acceptable forms of grieving and resistance. All right, like y'all don't get to tell us how to react, how to grieve, how to show our anger and upset. Y'all like this stuff is like 400 years building up. Like generational trauma is real. We feel that. Another thing is that these major corporations that are being targeted by protesters are those that profit by taking money and labor from their communities and not giving back. Like wage theft. They deserve to be upset. And my last point with this is that, well, I want to say a few more other things, but one of the last things I want to say is that 
some of the looting occurring within recent protests or actions from people not even associated with the central movement. The same way that white people were putting crack cocaine into neighborhoods in the 80s is how, you know, they're placing bricks and things like that at protests for black people to use. And it's it's sickening. So my next question is like, why is it destructive? Why is destructive writing allowed after college football games, but not at the sake of people's lives? Hmm. And then my, my last question really, and I want this to sit with you all is, are you more enraged about the property being damaged or the loss of human lives? Next point. My participation will not help anything. As white people, your participation is essential. People need, white people need to see other white people doing the work and then maybe they'll wake up and see that like black people aren't making this all up. They're not just being dramatic. They're not just overreacting. This is injustice. And then my favorite claim is that not all cops are bad. Yeah, just like not all black people who die are bad. And even if they are, that's still not a reason to lose your life. But I will say this, employment as a cop, even with good intentions, is to directly participate in a racist and corrupt system. And that's just period. And then cops that fail to intervene during acts of police brutality are just as bad. Complicity is murder. It has never been about the protection of human rights. Like, do y'all know the police forces were organized to police and capture runaway slaves that were considered stolen property? There was no jail system until slaves were emancipated. Like, just let that let that resonate with you in. This sentiment still remains today. Why are you choosing this instance to focus on those who do good? Who polices the police? Also, y'all realize that in focusing on these things, we take away from the actual movement and we do not need distractions right now. All right? Like, that's that. So I also do want to focus on some positive changes that are happening due to protests. So the first being that although Breonna Taylor's um, murders have not been arrested, we are still fighting for that. Breonna's law has been passed through the Public Safety Committee in Louisville, and this law will regulate no-knock warrants. Um, the judge gave the green light to try the three men responsible for Ahmaud Arbery's murder. Ferguson has elected its first black mayor, who is also the first female mayor. A bill was introduced in Colorado that will address abusive law enforcement policies. A statue of Robert E. Lee, a racist man, will be taken down or probably has been taken down in Virginia by now. The mayor of L.A. and lawmakers in New York are calling for the defunding of the police department. So, again, this does not mean they will lose all their funding. This means that funds will be relocated to other societal institutions, to other sectors. And then the last thing I want to focus on is that the New York State Assembly is repealing 50A, which is a measure that protects records of complaints against police officers, and Governor Cuomo committed to signing the repeal. But with all these things, the fight is not over. This means we must keep working. It's far from being over. Do y'all know, like, we're still protesting the same stuff that my great-grandma was protesting for? Like, it's, it's crazy, y'all. Like, it's really, really crazy. Now, this next segment I want to do is specifically for my black brothers and sisters. And this is five ways to mother yourself during this process. All right. So number one is to try breathing techniques. 
when you start to get anxious, like I know for me, if I see a police officer, my heart starts beating super fast. I have to take the time to just breathe in and breathe out. All right. Like I know it sounds silly, but that can really calm down your anxiety. The next thing is to challenge your thinking. We are putting so much pressure on ourselves. And the thing is, we wouldn't be putting the same pressure on our friends. Okay, so if you are grieving and you feel like you can't get your work done, be nice to yourself. And I, I struggle with this so much because I'm like, I should be farther along on this work project than what I am or I should be doing. But sometimes you need to sit in that grief, you know, like mother yourself, be kind to yourself. The third thing is to write it down, journal. I feel like a lot of times people won't understand what's going on in my mind because it's not a linear thought process. So write that down. Number four, practice mindful meditation. And I just thought about this, but like I need to really look into like some black meditation apps. I would absolutely love if that were a thing. So I'm actually going to look into that too. But one that I do know about that's um, really good is... Um, insight timer, I think is the name of it. And it really just allows you to be mindful and in the moment. All right. And the fifth thing is to take breaks, limit social media, take breaks from teaching, just monitor yourself. All right. And then a few other things. I know I said I have five, but as I'm working through this, this is not even on the outline that I'm working from. I just thought about these other things. Make sure you're meeting your basic needs. I know like in getting caught up in this for me, I stop eating, I stop sleeping because I get so obsessive and caught up in the moment and just make sure you are taking care of your basic needs. Step away. The next thing is to feel your feelings. Don't let anybody invalidate the way that you feel if you are angry because you don't necessarily personally know, you know, the last person who was killed by a police officer. You are entitled to that pain. It's traumatic. Find ways to connect with other black people. This is so important. Lean on your brothers and sisters during all of this. And a really, really hard one for me is to set boundaries around engaging with counter protesters. Some people just, they're racist and they're going to be racist and it is what it is. If it's harming you, if it's making you go crazy, step away. They're not worth it. And then the last thing that I want to say is to remember to consume black art and to celebrate black joy. We are absolutely amazing. Black people are creative geniuses. A lot of things in the world today, we wouldn't even have the luxury of if it weren't for black people. So celebrate that. We are remarkable beings. We are absolutely amazing. The things that we contribute to society, amazing relish in that take the time to focus on that so okay how does this all of this relate back to god and the word it seems to me like and i don't understand like how christians can be so into the word or so quote-unquote spirit-filled and don't understand how simple it is to love thy neighbor Love thy neighbor, thy poor neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy disabled neighbor. Love thy neighbor. I don't care. Love them. It's that simple. 
it doesn't matter. In the Bible, there are sojourners who are brought in, outside people who are brought in to live with God's people. And God tells his people, I don't care who they are, bring them in, love them, feed them, give them shelter. I also just want to point out, too, that, like, there are no white people in the Bible, y'all. Like, there aren't. So how dare we have a society that's just built on such a hierarchy of race? As I'm reading the Bible for myself, again, I understand that God is telling us to welcome and love everybody. And it's so obvious, but people serve some people, I'm not going to say people, some people serve the God they made up in their head and not the God of the Bible. Like, what do they think? The heaven is going to be segregated? Yikes. So, <laughs> with that being said, what are we adding to the prayer wall for this episode? The first thing we're adding is a spirit of change. A spirit of running from allyship to being an accomplice because being an accomplice like you're actually out in the field doing the work doing doing the work that needs to be done you're getting in good trouble okay so we're also um adding on to that we're going to add a spirit of reflection on your own behavior and what to do from here second we're going to pray for this rotten world this world is in complete shambles and this may seem like a massive thing, but no prayer is too large to be answered by God. So take this earth to the altar, okay? Get on your knees and just pray for this world. And then the third thing that we're adding to the prayer wall for this episode is accountability. Accountability for the police officers, the police force, the justice system, for our society. People need to be held accountable or these things are going to keep happening because there is no fear of getting in trouble if people aren't being held accountable. All right. So I'm going to go ahead before I exit out and um, well, first I want to make one more last claim. Although your life um, and social media feeds and et cetera may be back to normal, black lives still matter today tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that okay like black lives still matter this fight is far from being over this is not just some social media trend or fad we are still dying at the hands of systemic racism so now I'm going to close us out in prayer. And this one is completely unscripted. And I just want to allow the Lord to come in and just be with us in this moment. Okay, like he will only move upon invitation in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today, Father, with such a heavy heart. Okay, like, Father, my heart is hurting for my black brothers and sisters. My heart is hurting for my community. My heart is hurting for our country, for our world, Father. And it's not getting better anytime soon, Father. So I just want to take the time to open up this space and just ask you for help. Father, what we need is you. We need to stop trying to do this on our own, Father. 
But in the midst of inviting you in, Father, fuel us. Give us passion, Father. But in doing that, let your spirit, Father, be a shield around us to protect us from more danger. To protect us as we're out on the front lines, Father, cover us. Be between us and the people that we are protesting against. Father, protect us spiritually, mentally, and physically. Father, give us rest when we need it. Allow us, Father, to have the discernment to take the time to refill our cups when we are exerting too much energy. Father, allow us to open ourselves to heal. Father, allow us to just sit in the moment and ask you for what we need when we need it, Father. Father, wrap your arms around our little black brothers and sisters who still will have to grow up in this world that we are fighting in today. Father, wrap your arms around my black brothers who never got the chance to be young black boys, Father, because this world deemed them a threat before they even had a shot. Father, protect those brown babies, Father, that are in the bellies and the wombs of their mothers who will someday have to grow up in this world, Father, that hates them. That from birth, Father, deems them less than. Father, protect the minds and souls of our black people as we're constantly being told that we're not good enough, that we're worth nothing, that we're always trouble, Father, that we don't deserve anything in this world. Father, be a shield. Protect our hearts. Protect our souls. And protect my black brothers and sisters. It is in your name that I pray. Amen. All right, y'all. Thank y'all so, so much for tuning in to this incredibly challenging but much needed episode. I want to encourage y'all, if you haven't already, to subscribe, rate, stay prayed up. Again, your best defense is prayer. And as always, I would love to hear from you all. Send prayer requests and praise reports to either my DM at Prayer Wall Podcast on Instagram or to my Gmail account at prayerwallpodcast at gmail.com. I'll catch y'all next time.